This podcast is a presentation of Nags Head Church. Stay tuned and find us online at nagsheadchurch.com and on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Nags Head Church. Christmas is a great season, isn't it? And um, even for those people who don't worship Christ, don't know the Lord, um, not really Christians themselves, it's a it's a great season. Uh, and one reason the kids behave better under the threat of not getting anything under the tree. Um, Gail's family has a, a great story about how um, one Christmas when she was a kid. And the family was gone. The family was out. Nobody was home. And while nobody was home, some burglars actually came to the house, loaded up all the presents that were under the tree, threw them on a bed, grabbed the bedspread, wrapped them all up, and off they went with all of their Christmas toys. Yeah, that really did happen. And uh, and so uh, she can tell that story. But, you know, and I, I don't know what they thought. Maybe maybe the kids thought, ooh, we really... we. It was true, if we don't behave, we don't get anything for Christmas. But um, not Gail, of course. Um, you know, the radio stations start playing Christmas music 24 hours, you know, and we had after Thanksgiving, we had Black Friday, and then Cyber Monday, and Amazon and FedEx, they hire extra help to bring your packages and throw them onto your porch or into your shrubbery, and uh, and, and, and they leave them there so the porch pirates follow them around and steal it all. Um, it's a great season. Christmas trees are are for sale, and um, and people put up wreaths on their front doors and on the grills, all the rednecks all put a Christmas wreath on the grill of your pickup truck, and uh, you drive through the neighborhoods at night and looking at the houses that are decorated. It's, it's just a great season. And maybe, just maybe here in the Outer Banks, maybe we get a little tiny bit of snow, you know, sometime around Christmas season. Maybe not. Then the day after Christmas, the 26th, the memes start appearing on Facebook and Instagram, reminding us that, hey, guess what? It's just 365 days until Christmas. <laughs> so the waiting begins for the next Christmas. You know, but it's not the same as what we're going to look at today in the Scripture because our wait, we, we know when it's going to come. We know it's a whole year away, and so we, we wait. The next few Sundays... Um, and then Christmas Eve, we're going to view Christmas from the perspective of those who were waiting 2,000 years ago, God's chosen people, the Jews, and they're waiting for the promise of God's Messiah, the chosen one, the anointed one. That's what Messiah means, the one who would come to set them free. But they waited, and they waited, and they waited so very long. They waited for at least 2,000 years. In fact, we're going to go next Sunday beyond 2,000 years and see that the promise goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden. One such Jewish man who waited was a fellow by the name of Simeon. And we only have one story about Simeon in the Bible, just this one, but it tells us how important Christ's coming was to the faithful in Israel. So today we're actually going to start with an event that happened after Christmas, not before Christmas, but about people who were before Christmas and look, looking for Christmas to come. They wanna, we want to learn, learn from these two folks in this story who, to help us understand how God's people waited and they trusted 
in his promise. So I want you to find in your Bible, and I really want to encourage everybody to look in a Bible, whether it's a handheld device or a Bible that you brought or a Bible in the back of one of the chairs or under the blue chairs, but find Luke chapter 2, and it's on page 942. Um, if, you're, if you're looking, wonder where that is, find Luke 2 and uh, follow along with me. It's not nearly as familiar, this story today, as what precedes it in Luke chapter 2. Most of us Probably on our on Christmas Day in our celebration, we'll get together and uh, in our households and and read the Christmas story from Luke two. Not nearly as familiar. In fact, someone came up to me after the last service and said, "I never heard that story before." And uh, and so uh, it may not be a familiar story to you, but hopefully after today it becomes an important story to you. Um, Joseph and Mary, if you're taking notes, we'll start with this point. Joseph and Mary were faithful in their practice of their Jewish religion. They were faithful Jews. They practiced their Judaism. If you look with me at verse 21, and we'll read down through verse 24 to begin. When the eight days were completed for his circumcision, he was named Jesus. The name given by the angel before he was conceived. And when the days of their purification, according to the law of Moses, were finished, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord, just as it was written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male will be dedicated to the Lord. And to offer a sacrifice, according to what is stated in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. There were three listed in this, these verses are three Jewish ceremonies that took place here after the birth of Jesus. The first was his circumcision when he was eight days old, and that's given to them in the law in Leviticus chapter 12, verse 3. This probably was done in Bethlehem, where they probably still were after the birth of Jesus. So when he's eight days old, he is circumcised, to, which was an outward sign of all Jewish men that they were indeed uh, covenant people with God following that, that law. And, and at the circumcision ceremony, um, some of you, like me, when you were little, when you were infants, you were taken to a church for a christening or a baptism by whatever that church tradition might have been. And at that, at that ceremony, um, a priest or a reverend of some kind would have asked the parents, uh, what is the child's name? And the parents would say, his name or her name is, and that's kind of when officially you get the name, even though it's already been on your birth certificate in the religious tradition. And this is when his name was officially given to him. Jesus is his name. Now, when they said his name in this story in Jerusalem, they did not say Jesus because Jesus is the Greek form of the Hebrew name Yeshua. So they would have said, Yeshua is his name. And that's what Jesus was called all throughout his life and his ministry. He wasn't called Jesus. He was called Yeshua because he's there in Israel. And we have anglicized, by the way, Yeshua today in our culture. Uh, we've anglicized that name a little bit. And you're familiar with the name Joshua. Same name, right? Yeshua, Joshua, Jesus. Jesus. And by the way, the name means the Lord's salvation. That's the, remember what the angel told Mary, you will call his name Jesus. Why? For he will save his people from their sins. So his name was given, Yeshua, Jesus. Um, 
That was circumcision. The second ceremony here was his dedication at the temple. They go to Jerusalem. And this goes back to the Passover story. Are you familiar with the Passover story in the book of Exodus? Chapter 13, when all of Israel's firstborn sons that night were spared death by the Passover lamb's blood that they had killed and they took the blood and painted it over the doors of their home. And all firstborn Israeli sons after that, from that point forward, all of them were then taken to the temple and they were dedicated to the Lord. And at this ceremony, something interesting happened. At this ceremony, they were bringing our child to the temple as though we're going to leave him there and dedicate. He's going to be there at the temple for his whole life to serve the Lord. But of course, that isn't what happened. They would then come with a, a, a sum of five shekels. And with that money, they would, here's a, here's a term that we have in our Christian faith and our Christian theology, they would redeem him. They would buy him back from the Lord. The law said he's the firstborn son dedicated to the Lord, but you can have him back. Would you like him back, mom? Yes. All right, sweetheart, pay him the, pay the man the money. You know, so they give the, the priest there at the temple the five shekels and redeem by their son back from, from the Lord, so to speak. It was an interesting practice. It taught their family, reminded them of their history about Passover. It explained the concept of redemption, being redeemed. And that's something that's happened to all of us who are believers in Jesus Christ. We have been redeemed by the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. God has purchased us uh, from sin and uh, to be his own. So it teaches redemption. And then the third thing, interestingly, that it would have done was provided funding for the temple. It was a way that they got funding. And I don't know how many firstborn sons every day would be dedicated to the Lord, but I'm sure it was a great number all over Israel coming to Jerusalem for that purpose. That was the second Jewish ceremony. The third one was Mary's purification, which was a period of 40 days that every Jewish woman after giving birth, um, she had to wait 40 days before she could come to the temple, and there was a sacrifice required when she did come to the temple. The law required that you uh, give to the Lord, you sacrifice to the Lord a one-year-old lamb. If you can't afford a one-year-old lamb, now if you're a shepherd, that you probably could, or if you're a person of means, you could go and buy a one-year-old lamb. But if you could not afford that, then there was the alternative sacrifice, you could either do two turtle doves or two pigeons and, and give these two birds to be sacrificed. But you came with a sacrifice. And the fact that they came and they, they brought a pair of turtle doves, uh, birds to the, um, uh, to the sacrifice, then that indicates to us the, the, the poverty that this couple lived in, that they were not wealthy people. Then God brought them in this story, the next point for you is God brought them in contact with two Old Testament saints. Old Testament. What does that mean? Rick, we're reading in, hey Rick, let me help you out here. You're stumbling in your old age. We're reading in the New Testament. Luke follows Matthew and Mark in the New Testament, doesn't it? And let me mess with your mind a little bit. Can I do that? Well, I mean, I'm gonna do it anyway. Um, let, me, let me mess with your mind a little bit. They, I call them Old Testament saints because they were. Why do you say they're Old Testament saints? The New Testament does not begin literally, technically, with the first words of the Gospel of Matthew. 
Now, it's all included. The Gospels are included in the New Testament because it's in the Gospels that the New Testament began. When did the New Testament begin? We talked about communion a couple of Sundays ago. And you remember Jesus broke the bread and and passed it out. And he said, this is my body, which is given for you. And then he took a cup. And he's getting ready to pass that around. And he said, this cup is the new covenant, the new Testament in my blood. The New Testament began when? When Jesus pronounced the cup was the new covenant. When Jesus said, my blood I shed when I die on the cross. That is literally the moment that the New Testament began. Up until that time, all these Jews, including Jesus up until his death, were all bound to the Old Testament, the Old Covenant law. That's why they did the things that they did. It's why Jesus did, he obeyed his Passover and celebrated and did all, he tied. They did all these old covenant things, but then boom, Jesus dies on the cross and he's raised from the get, dead and everything is made new under something different, not law, but grace. That's the beginning of the New Testament, the new covenant. So these are Old Testament saints keeping the law. Now, every Jew in Israel and wherever they were scattered in the world, every Jew knew something of the promise of the coming Messiah. It was part of their upbringing as children. It was something that they would have learned taught in Saturday school, Sabbath school at the synagogue. It was their hope. And the people were waiting for Messiah to come. And they've been waiting for at least 2,000 years. When God promised Abraham, the very first of their nation, He promised Abraham that from his descendants would come a nation, and from that nation, Genesis 12, verse 3, all the peoples on the earth will be blessed through you. That was the promise of Messiah coming. And they all knew about that. They all knew the Old Testament and the promises. But not every Jew was filled with the expectation of his coming advent. They didn't all look for it. They didn't all expect it. After waiting for so long, 2,000 years, that's a long time to wait for a promise to come true, isn't it? Generation after generation after generation. After waiting for so long, many had lost hope and faith in God. And and the law, we know, was ignored by many. And their Jewishness, for many of them, as the same is true with many Jews today, their Jewishness has lost their purpose. Their Jews by ethnicity only, but they really don't practice. And that was the case there. Not many were looking for his coming, although they all knew the promises. But there was always a remnant, most often the minority in Israel, who believed God would fulfill his promise to Israel. Remember John the Baptist. You know, you're familiar with John the Baptist, Jesus' cousin. John the Baptist, he was just a few months older than Jesus. And he was a prophet. He was a preacher. He was, let me say this to you, he was an Old Testament prophet, was he not? In fact, he died before Jesus. He was an Old Testament prophet, but we find him in the New Testament. But John's message to the Jewish people was that they they repent. He said, prepare the way of the Lord. You got to get ready. Messiah is coming. Now, they didn't know when. John had a clue because he knew who he was. And then Jesus shows up one day, John's preaching, and he sees Jesus coming. He says, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. There he is. 
He prepared them. He said, you've got to get ready for him. The doubts that maybe you've had, you've got to get ready. And so his preaching to the Jewish people, those who heard him preach, those who had lost their faith, caused them to be awakened, if you will, expecting Messiah to come. Verse 25, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was righteous and devout, looking forward to Israel's consolation and the Holy Spirit was on him, Simeon. Simeon was one of those faithful Jews who still was waiting and clinging to the promise of Messiah. And he looked forward, it says here, to Israel's consolation. What is that? Israel's consolation was the promise that every Jew, even, you know, even those who weren't anticipating so much the Messiah, every Jew hoped for Israel's consolation that one day, the day would come when we would have our own king, when we would not be under the tyranny of Rome or Greece or Persia or Babylon or Assyria. We will be our own country again. We will be free. That's Israel's consolation free from dominance. And that promise would come when Messiah came and the prophecy said he would rule from David's throne in Jerusalem. Simeon, we're told, was in Jerusalem. This man was in Jerusalem. We don't know if he lived there. We don't know much about him. We don't know if he had a business there. We don't know if he was there for a doctor's appointment. We really don't know why Simeon was in Jerusalem that day, but he was. He was there, and the scripture tells us he was there because he was guided by the Spirit. He was in touch with God who had Simeon where he needed to be in order to see the promise that God had given him. We'll see that promise in a moment. Simeon, it says too in verse 25, was righteous and devout. He was righteous, meaning he had kept God's law. Before God, he was doing all that he could to obey the law. Was he perfect? No. He couldn't be perfect, and none of us can be perfect because the Bible tells us we have all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But he was a righteous man in the sense that he was doing everything that he knew to do. He was keeping the law. And he was devout, meaning his devotion to God was seen by others. People knew Simeon. They knew there's a, there's a righteous man. There's a guy that loves God. There's a guy that, that is waiting for Messiah to come. Verse 26, he had a particular promise from God. Look with me at verse 26. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he saw the Lord's Messiah. God had revealed this and we don't know how. But he believed with all his heart that God had promised him, Simeon, you won't die until you have seen the Messiah. Whenever that's going to take place. And Simeon's alive, so Simeon knows the Messiah is coming before I die. And it's very, it could very well be, and again, we don't know, that he was an older man. Probably was waiting for Messiah to come because of some things he'll say later. But he's waiting for this promise from God. Verse 27. Guided by the Spirit, he, Simeon, entered the temple complex. Now, the temple wasn't just a building. It was a building, but around the temple were courtyards. There were porticos. There were porches off of the temple. It was a large place, and so it was a complex. There were places where Gentiles could go. They could not enter the building, but there was a place outside the temple where they could go, those Gentiles who wanted to know more about Israel. 
Israel's God could come and watch and could listen. There were, there were outside the temple was, was a great altar where the sacrifices were made. And there were a lot of things inside the temple. But he goes and he enters the temple complex where he belongs, where God has sent him to be as a Jewish man that day. Goes to the temple complex. And when the parents, Jesus and Mary, brought in the child Jesus to perform for him what was customary under the law, the five shekels, to redeem him on this dedication ceremony. When he was there and he saw that, it says in verse 28, Simeon took him up in his arms. Now, Simeon did something that not a whole lot of parents, especially today, would be willing to do. You think about it for a second. You go here to the temple to do this dedication ceremony uh, to present your your son uh, to the Lord and then to say, now, but we want to buy him back from the Lord. So you give the five shekels and here's this man that we've never seen before reaches out and he takes your baby from you and holds him in his arms. I don't know too many parents today would be okay with that, but they were. He held him in his arms and then he said some things. Look what he said. Verse 29. Now, Master, talking to God, he's praying. Now, Master, you can dismiss your slave in peace. You know what he just said? Okay, God, I'm ready to go. Your promise has just been fulfilled. I have seen the Savior. I have seen the Messiah. I'm good to go. My life, however it's been lived, it's complete. You've prepared it, he says to the Lord. In the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and glory to your people Israel. He understood, by the way, that the Messiah was coming not just for Israel, he was coming for the Gentiles. He understood the purpose of the nation of Israel was to be a light to the Gentiles, not to keep the light all to themselves. He understood that. And he said, God, this is a great day. And Mary and Joseph are standing there watching that. And what's their reaction? Verse 33, his mother and his father were amazed at what was being said about him. They looked at each other and said, whoa, do you know this man? I don't know him. Do you know? I don't know him. Never seen him before. Here we are in the temple, big crowd of people around. And this guy takes our baby and he holds him in his arms and he says, today, God, I can go in peace. Your promise has been fulfilled. I'm good with this. I'm ready to go. And he's here to be Messiah. They were amazed. How did he know that? But they understood who Jesus was. I'm not sure how deep their understanding was, but they knew because both of them, you know the stories we read around Christmas, both of them have been been, um, visited by the angel and they were told, here's what's going to happen and your son is the son of God. They were amazed. And then Simeon blessed them. He gave a blessing to them and he told his mother, Mary. He said to Mary, indeed, this child is destined to cause the fall and rise of many in Israel. He's going to have a major impact on the nation of Israel. Some will rise and believe, some will fall and reject. And to be a sign that will be opposed. You can expect that he's going to be opposed as he grows up in his adult life. And he says, Verse 35, a sword will pierce your own soul, Mary, that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. He said, and he did some unusual things. And, you know, like any other baby, 
There were things happening daily in his life. I think if Mary had lived in 2019, every day, those of us who would have been her Facebook friends would have seen new pictures of baby Jesus on Facebook. Look what he did today. He opened his eyes and he smiled. Look what he did today. He spit up all over himself, you know. Look what he did today. And and all the, you just kind of daily, you know how it is. And uh, excited about the baby and all the things taking place in his life. But we have so little in the Bible about Jesus' infancy and about Jesus' childhood. So very, very little in the Bible about it. And then there's this story. And there's the story of him when he confounded the elders at the temple when he was 12 years old. And pretty much that's it. Don't know much more. We know that they fled to Egypt, but we don't know any details about that. Just very, very little bit. So the fact that this story is included in the gospel makes it significant, I would think. The story mattered, and it mattered for eternal reasons. It's much, much more than, and Jesus took his first steps when he was however old. Jesus spoke his first, I wonder what Jesus' first words were, by the way. You know, wouldn't that be interesting to know? This was the fulfillment of God's promise. Right, then verse 36, or let's keep reading where we are right now. I've read verses 33 to 35. Mary and Joseph were amazed. How did this man know who my baby was? Luke is not so much interested, by the way. Listen, he's not so much interested in letting us know how Jesus was recognized. I think maybe one of the ways he was recognized was the fact that this man, Simeon, standing there as this dedication ceremony is happening and the priest says to the parents, and what is his name? And they say, Yeshua. And somehow he knew this Yeshua. By the way, Jesus, Yeshua, was a very popular common name in Israel. Lots of boys, lots of men named Jesus Yeshua. But when, he, when, when they said that name, no doubt his, the spirit who was on him perked up his ears and whispered in his ear and said, this is the one. He knew. They were amazed how he did this. I love what this quote, I'll put it up on the screen for you. I love this quote. Someone said, think of it. A man who knew that God held him in the palm of his hand now holds God in his arms. The all-powerful God is a tiny baby, seemingly without any power at all. And there would be lots of times when Jesus is baby and growing up and people would see Mary carrying Jesus around in her arms or maybe later on holding his little toddler hand and people would see him and they would stop her and they would say, oh, your baby is so cute. Or they would say, look at Joseph and say to him, and he looks just like his father. And Joseph probably would just look at Mary and wink. But for a total stranger to look at them and say, your son is the savior of the world pretty amazing. He gave them this blessing. He turns to Mary with some cryptic words. He doesn't speak to Joseph. He just talks to Mary. And maybe that is a very thinly veiled prophecy that Joseph is not going to live to see Jesus' crucifixion. We know when Jesus was crucified, Jesus looked down at John and he said, John, take care of my mother. Joseph is not on the scene. Joseph disappears from the New Testament 
The last time we see or hear mention of Joseph is at the, at the story of Jesus going to the temple and confounding the elders, and then we know nothing more. So apparently Joseph died uh, before Jesus um, entered his ministry. And uh, so maybe this is just, Joseph, this, this what I'm about to say is not going to include you. At his birth, the angel said, glory to God. They said, peace on earth. The shepherds came and bowed down before him. Those are all positive things. But Simeon now paints a frightening but true picture of the future. And his words line up with prophecies from, for example, Psalm 22 and, and Isaiah 53 about the suffering and the rejection of the Savior. And his words prepared Mary for the grief that she would experience as she watched her son die on the cross. And he says, that sword is going to pierce your soul. While this is all happening, an old woman, very old woman, is standing close by, a woman by the name of Anna. Let's read on. Verse 36. There was also a prophetess, a woman prophet, Anna, a daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. Luke goes to the detail, and Luke is a great lover of detail in writing his gospel, and he tells us, identifies her. She's from a tribe that's almost come to extinction. They were scattered during the Assyrian um, taking of, of Israel, and, and there's not a whole lot of them left. And he says, here's this woman of this particular tribe. She's well along in years. That's Luke's nice way of saying she was really old. You know, you just don't want to say that about ladies. They don't like to hear that. She was well along in years. And depending on how you read Luke, listen to how he describes her life. Having lived with her husband, she had been married seven years after her marriage and was a widow for 84 years. So it either means she was 84, that's one way of understanding Luke, or she was married for seven years, and let's just say, let's guess and say she was married when she was a teenager, 15, 16 years old, which was not uncommon in those days. And then you add seven years to that, and then her husband died when she was in her early 20s, and now she's been a widow for 84. She would be something like 106 years old, if you look at it that way. And I'm not saying that's not possible. I think it's more probable that she was 84, and uh, different versions have that reading so that it maybe sounds more like that. She's at least 84, she, and, and, and she's been married, she, her husband died, and she lives the rest of her life as a widow. And she did not leave the temple complex, serving God night and day with fasting and prayers. And at that very moment, she came up and began to thank God and speak about him. I think about Jesus as who him is here. Speak about him to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Israel. She almost interrupts Simeon. And she begins to thank God verbally to those around who were there in the temple. She's telling them, Our Messiah is here, and here's what's going to happen in his life, and here's why he came. And she could not keep quiet about it. It's an interesting story that's often overlooked in the life of Jesus. After all, Simeon, or excuse me, after all, Jesus did not say anything profound here. Luke chapter 2. He, he didn't teach anything. He didn't perform any miracles. He's just a baby being held in his mother's arms and then in this man Simeon's arms. He couldn't talk. But his arrival here at the temple did not go unnoticed. 
Here's some lessons I want to share with you from this passage as we close. Right? Number one, it is important for you and I who are Christians to be filled with the Spirit. Simeon, his example, teaches us that when we're filled with the Spirit of God, we will be right where God wants us to be when he wants us to be there. That day, he was in the temple. How did he get there? I don't know. Maybe he left his job early. We don't know. But because he was so in tune to what the Spirit was doing in his life, he was there at the temple. And both this man... A Simeon and this woman, Anna, by their lives and by their words, proclaimed Christ that day. And that, that tells us that God, you know, we don't know anything else about them. They don't appear anywhere else in Scripture, not in a list or anything. And it tells you and me that God loves to use simple, ordinary people to announce the birth and arrival of his son. The first ones who came to adore Jesus at the manger were shepherds. Shepherds were the lowest of the low in the social economic strata of, of the nation of Israel. They were at the bottom of the heap. But God said, I want you guys to know first and come and worship him. God uses simple, ordinary people. And here's an otherwise unknown man and a very old woman, and nothing more is said about them at all. But here they are, and what they said and what they did broke the news. Listen, there's a crowd there in the temple. It's not just a private ceremony. There are people all around, and what they said and what they did broke the news to others around them. It's important to me to be filled with the Spirit. Devout, being devout, as this man Simeon, we're told, was, leads to being in the right place at the right time. It means I'm following closely so as not to be distracted by what's all around me. Devout for you and I as a Christian means we're walking in the Spirit. I'm in tune with God and his leading in my life. And we know that Simeon had the Spirit's presence, because it says the Spirit was on him. He had the Spirit's revelation. The Spirit of God told him, you won't die until you see the Messiah. He had the Spirit's guidance. He was guided by the Spirit as he entered the temple complex. So Simeon would have been what we know later in the New Testament as a Spirit-filled man. His being here was no coincidence. What a lucky guy. No luck about it. He was where the sovereign God directed him to be. Secondly, the kingdom is inclusive. God's kingdom is for everyone. And so and, and Simeon says that. It's for, you know, not the, just the Jews, but a light to the Gentiles. But God saw to it here in this story, and I think this is great, that there was a man and a woman included in this story. Now, that doesn't mean that men and women are the same. doesn't mean we're interchangeable in our parts or in our roles. But God includes both, and it means that God seeks for men and women to be devoted to him. See, it doesn't matter the color of your skin your sex, your age, your education. God is always looking from us for people who will be devoted, people who will be available for us to do the ministry. And these both these folks both had ministry that day to Mary and Joseph. The ministry gives us, the, which tells me simply there's a place and a role for every Christian to serve the Lord. We all have a place. Number three, there's no substitute for persistence in ministry. 84 years, 
Anna has been fasting and praying in the temple. 84 years she's been prophesying, giving people the word and, and, and praying for people and praying with people. 84 years, I can picture her at the temple walking up to the worshipers as they would come, this lady coming up and saying, how can I pray for you today? That was her ministry. I can picture her walking up to people and say, you know, I, I, maybe I've never met you before, but I think the Lord has something he wants me to tell you. She would encourage them and, and, and speak to them. Uh, she, and she wasn't young. For 84 years, she's been doing that, or most of her life anyway. Then number four, I, lo- I love this one. Look for God's surprises. Look for God's surprises in your life. You may never have two total strangers come up to you and do or say something that God wants to use in your life for encouragement or to give you a greater understanding of his will for you or for your children. That may never happen in your life, but it could. But it could. Look for his surprises. One reason it's so vital vital for Christians to be not only part of a church and in a church, but to have people around us in the church who know the Lord, who walk with him, who are righteous and devout like Simeon, who are filled with the Holy Spirit to bless us and encourage us and warn us and correct us with his word. And then lastly, number five. This is important. Announcing the arrival of the Messiah was more important than the ceremonies. These faithful Jews, Mary and Joseph, they were all into the traditions. We've got to go to the temple. You know, we had to circumcise when he's eight days old. Now, now that the time of purification has come and I can go to the temple. Let's go to the temple and, and, uh, and, and sacrifice the turtle doves and, and pay the ransom, pay the ransom, the redemption money to the priest. Let's do that. And those were important ceremonies. In fact, the ceremonies were the reason why Outwardly, that they were at the temple, at this place today, where Simeon and Anna could do what they did. But the announcement from both of these people, this man and the woman, that Messiah has come, was the most important. And there is, Christian, listen to me, there is nothing more significant in my life or in yours than to announce that Messiah has come. Nothing more important than to tell, tell, tell others, Jesus has arrived. He's here. And here's what can happen. We love traditions, Christmas traditions in our family. If you come to my house, Gail's got the house all decorated. We have a tree up and it's decorated. I have, have a little village underneath the tree that our, that our granddaughters helped us set up last Sunday. And we have a train running around that whole village. And we've got a tree in the living room. We have a tree in the den. We have two, three trees in the front yard. We have lights on our porch. We got the place lit up. We love Christmas traditions. Families coming and and. Presents are already been wrapped and put under the tree. We love all that, but please listen to what I'm about to say. We can let, if we will, if we allow it to, we can allow the traditions of the season to take care of the true reason we celebrate. We can get so caught up in the stuff. And we can do that by making a bigger deal about the things we do And by doing so, maybe we block out the thing that God did. He sent the Messiah. He sent the Savior. Christmas is about Christ, first and foremost. 
The next two Sundays and Christmas Eve, we're going to look back on the promises that God gave to the people of the world, starting with in the Garden of Eden. Letting the world know that one day his son, his anointed one, would come. And I think, I hope, and I pray that this series will help teach you and I a lot about patiently waiting on the Lord. And here's why I say that. I close with this. I accepted Jesus Christ as my Savior as I was listening in church to a pastor preach about his second coming. About his second coming. And the pastor preached and said, you've got to be ready for that. If you're not ready for that, when he comes, you're not going to be a part of what takes place afterwards. You're not going to go to heaven with him. And so it was that preaching that this 10-year-old boy said, Jesus Christ, I'm not ready, but I want to be. And so I received him. I accepted him. I put my faith and trust in him as my Savior. And I hope and I pray that these scriptures that we read, they not only pointed to his first coming, but many of them pointed to his second coming. And I've been waiting since I was that 10-year-old boy for, you know, for all the rest of my life for 50-some years for Jesus to come back. And you know what? He hadn't showed up yet. And I wonder, is it going to happen in my lifetime? I wonder sometimes, maybe I miss something, but I know and I read the scriptures and I know the promises are true. And I don't want to give up faith by saying, well, you know, we've been waiting now for 2,000 years. How long did they wait from Abraham to Christ? 2,000 years. So maybe it's really close. Pray with me. Father, great story. Thank you, um, Spirit of God, for inspiring Luke to include this story in the gospel that he wrote, this biography of Jesus the other, other gospel writers didn't say anything about this. So thank you that Luke has it so that we can learn from it, so that we can be inspired by it, so that our lives can be changed as we wait for Christ. As we look forward to celebrating his birth, may our focus be not on the ceremonies, but on the Savior. Not on the things that we do, to get ready, but on the one thing that you did. You gave your only begotten son so that we could believe in him and have everlasting life. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. This has been a presentation of Nags Head Church. Love God, love others, reach the world.